COVID has put a spotlight on self-care and consumer health couldn't be happier uh, because it certainly has, I think, increased uh, sales across the board, not only in OTC drugs, but in uh, food supplements and other nutritional products and so on. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it may very well be that uh, companies, uh, pharmas are saying, well, we, you know, we can really uh, capitalize on this trend better if we have a company that is uh, on its own in consumer health, in self-care. Welcome to the new HBW Insight over-the-counter podcast with me, David Ridley, Senior Editor, Europe. In this new podcast, I'll be talking to industry figures and experts about new trends and issues emerging in the global consumer healthcare market. In this episode, I catch up with HPW Insights US and EU Managing Editors Malcolm Spicer and Tom Gallen, who in the last few weeks have been covering the Q3 results from some of the biggest consumer health companies in the world. We chat about key trends emerging in the global OTC industry, beginning with why companies like J&J and GSK are looking to spin out their consumer healthcare operations to create new publicly listed standalone firms. We also look at supply chain troubles and how they're affecting product pricing and other themes that have emerged from the latest results round. So thank you both for coming on the podcast to talk about the Q3 financial results. Um, so do you want to both introduce yourself quickly? Malcolm, do you want to go first? Yes, thank you, David. Hello, I'm uh, Malcolm Spicer. I'm HBW Insights uh, Managing Editor for U.S. Consumer Health. And I am Tom Gallen, Managing Editor for HBW's Europe coverage. Great. So we've got both sides of the uh, of the pond, as it were, to uh, have a look at the leading companies. But before we, we go into any kind of detailed stuff, I think that we need to just talk about the, um, you know, the spin-offs and standalones that are happening. So uh, most recently, we heard about Johnson & Johnson Consumer Health possibly becoming its own company. Um, and this seems to be a bit of a trend. So uh, what's going on here? Malcolm, what do you think? Well, um, it's hard to say it's not a trend. Um, if we were to ask uh, the companies themselves, uh, I, I doubt that any of them would, uh, would uh, you know, uh, acknowledge that the uh, decisions of other companies are influencing what they're doing. Uh, however, um, the, the, the commonality among several commonalities, I think, is that the companies are so big that it really doesn't make any uh, good business sense any longer to uh, include consumer health with the other parts of the uh, pharma's businesses. Um, and also, uh, they're, they're so large and consumer health, frankly, is so different from the other parts of the businesses that it doesn't really make, again, a lot of good business sense to continue operating as a large company, a very large company that is that includes consumer health. Do you just want to say um, which of the companies on your side are looking at doing this? Okay. Over here, it's, uh, as you mentioned, David, is Johnson & Johnson, which is uh, the latest news and came as a bit of a surprise. Uh, there's also Bosch Health Companies, which is uh, 
have been going on for more than a year uh, is something that their current management uh, uh, indicated it wanted to do uh, soon after it took over the company. Um, and that's really it for this this side. Uh, the the uh, other uh, uh, other happenings or other events among this trend are a bit older. A Merck Company, the U.S. Merck, um, several years ago now uh, divested its consumer health brands to uh, Bayer and uh, Procter and Gamble. And I'm going to intrude on Tom's uh, turf a little bit here, but Procter and Gamble around the same time that Bayer took the U.S. Merck's consumer brands, Procter & Gamble got the German Merck's consumer brands. So, um, yeah, those, those are, the, and then there's the smaller companies in consumer health that are, that are adding brands, uh, Church and & Dwight and, and Prestige uh, Consumer Health come to mind. Yeah, and you mentioned, obviously, this, the EU side as well, Tom. Um, we've got GSK, for example. Do you want to say a little bit about that? And then uh, are there any other companies that are looking at this at the moment? Yeah, so I think GSK was probably the first, um, you know, among the big companies to kind of set this in motion. So they're looking to spin off their consumer business um, next summer. Um, and they've been pr- preparing this for the last year or so. Um and from, you know, I'd, I'd agree with, you know, everything Malcolm said in terms of m- motivations for it. Um, you know, a few of the things they said was, you know, on the uh, consumer side, you know, it's about kind of unlocking value for shareholders. You know, the um, the the parts are sort of um, worth more than the whole in a way. Um, you know, once the, the farmer and consumer businesses split, um, you know the value of the sort of individual companies will be more than what the um the the you know combined group would originally have been valued at um and on the farmer side you know that can help the spin-off will raise funds for r and d um you know which kind of um, builds on what what malcolm was saying a bit you know the the, the two businesses have just become um you know more and more separated with time as, as things have changed um and so so you know the um the sale or the spin-off can help you know reduce debts on the on the farmer side and then you know unlock that entrepreneurial energy on the consumer side um and as you say so gsk will be doing that next year and then sanofi have um moved their consumer business into a sort of standalone unit for some of the same reasons in terms of you know trying to un- unlock the value and the and the, you know the entre- entrepreneurial energy because they've kind of said it they've they've had um you know some difficulties over the past few years in terms of slowing growth um and they've kind of attributed that to the, the business not being agile enough you know as the market has changed more startups have entered um you know they need to be quicker to respond to trends so they see their standalone business as being able to do that um and they've not committed to you know spinning it off entirely from the main business but you know that's the kind of direction of travel um and you know as we see other firms as malcolm mentioned j and j doing that you know i think that's that will probably be the likely outcome 
yeah that thanks for that um that context it's really helpful to see some of the reasons why these companies might be doing it um, but you know like as you said there's been a strong link in the past obviously that the companies were the same you know the consumer they were divisions of the same company uh, consumer health pharmaceutical or you know in different names in different companies and there was a logic to that wasn't there where you had prescription drugs that would come off patent and then um, you know switching them for example to OTC would be a way of of giving them a, like a new life uh, as a consumer drug um, but it seems like maybe like the consumer side has kind of come of age a little bit and I was wondering what, what you both thought about that and maybe the role of the pandemic in that you know we're writing at the moment about uh, a self-care movement you know self-care has always been a bit of a umbrella term maybe hasn't had a huge amount of specific meaning but it seems to have been filled out a little bit over the last few months uh, what are your thoughts about that Malcolm? Uh, thanks David if I could back up a little bit on Johnson and Johnson, one thing to keep in mind, and I don't, I don't know whether it uh, this has was a factor in their decision, but they have, uh, they still have a, a big uh, burden, a big overhang of the uh, talc litigation uh, in the U.S. of uh, you know litigation of, of their talc uh, being linked to cancer and other health conditions. Uh, and there is some thought that if, by separating the uh, consumer business, uh, they are uh, uh, limiting their uh, exposure on that. Uh, they have already uh, separated their talc business uh, itself uh, in, in, through bankruptcy, uh, through a bankruptcy proceeding, that is. Uh, however, there, there is a thought that, uh, you know, the, the courts could still link uh, their talc business to the rest of the company. And by separating consumer, they're uh, uh, reducing the exposure to the rest of the company. Um, also, uh, you know, it's on your note about, uh, you know, Rx drugs going off patent and being switched to OTC. It's interesting that AstraZeneca, which is the innovator of a lot of the uh, 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 biggest selling uh, RX drugs and that become the uh, big selling OTC drugs too. It doesn't have an OTC business. It licenses it licenses its uh, RX drugs for OTC rights to other companies. Uh, and uh, I think that's interesting because you know if if uh, having a consumer business is so uh, has been so good or so beneficial to the pharma's, why doesn't AstraZeneca do it? Uh, when it's got the, the drugs that are the biggest brand names in OTC, Prilosec and Nexium and so on. Um, and the, the reason might be is the there's, uh, and I think the, the pharmas that kind of grow their consumer business uh, uh, become dissatisfied with this is that the, the gross margins are far less in consumer health than they are on the pharma side. Um, and that is that drags down the overall uh, um, value of a company, and uh, th that's that's the uh, the point that analysts are always looking at the gross margins among many of uh, several other points at least. But that's one thing, and the and the margins are never going to be uh, for consumer health as large as they are for pharma. And so that's one reason, you know, AstraZeneca isn't in consumer health because, you know, there's there's no margin in it, as they might say. Um, 
And then as far as uh, self-care, you know, the, the COVID has put a spotlight on self-care and consumer health couldn't be happier uh, because it certainly has, I think, increased uh, sales across the board, not only in OTC drugs, but in the food supplements and other nutritional products and so on. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it may very well be that uh, companies, uh, farmers are saying, well, we, you know, we can really uh, capitalize on this trend better if we have a company that is uh, on its own in consumer health, in self-care. Um, and, uh uh, you know, I, I don't know, uh, you know, I'm kind of a glass half full, half, uh, half empty perspective on this. I don't know post COVID whether the self-care interest is going to maintain or perhaps subside. Um, it, it will only, it will know then, uh, uh, and, and, uh, consumer health, uh, companies certainly hope it does continue to, to increase, uh, and, and they'll do what they can to uh, keep self-care in front of the consumer, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, maintaining that interest and not, and not seeing the interest ebb. Uh, again, though, uh, that remains to be seen. I, I, it's, I, I don't know if, I don't know if anybody uh, objectively can say that they know it's going to, the, the interest is going to maintain, remain as high as it's been or apps, or perhaps uh, get down to the, uh, you know, the uh, normal quote unquote normal ranges yeah i think it's definitely a hope um but yeah i think you, you know you raise some really important points and uh, i think some really interesting arguments there what about what about you tom i mean anything to add do you think that that this um that the pandemic has got some role to play in these decisions to spin out uh, consumer health divisions well i think well if you, if you look at gsk obviously you know that was all kind of in motion before the pandemic so you know you can't really um attribute it to that i know j and j you know reading malcolm's piece on the um on the news um they did actually cite the pandemic as one of the kind of um you know not necessarily motivating factors but one of the things that's you know really driving their business at the moment so that will you know um separating will um, allow them to benefit from that um, you know from from my opinion my point of view you know I think consumer health has changed you know over the past few years um, and I think the change has been you know accelerated by the pandemic you know as we were kind of talking about before you I think you, you mentioned Dave you know you've got um, you know the farmer division and then once they're you know big blockbusters go off pattern and they try and switch them and then that kind of extends the life you know in with the consumer division um you know and that's obviously still really important but you know as we've seen it's not the easiest thing to do and you can't purely rely on switches for innovation which has made companies you know look elsewhere um and you know supplements as uh, dietary supplements have just become such a huge part of consumer health now um and, you know, the, obviously the, the regulations aren't anywhere near as stringent as for OTCs. Um, but then with that, that's because of the, the, the lower barriers to entry, you've got much more competition. So, you know, the companies, as I mentioned before, need to be more agile, need to be able to react to trends quicker um, to, you know, bring innovation to market and to, you know, um, fend off 
um, the kind of smaller startup competitors. And the other thing I would probably call out as well would be, you know, the rise of um, digital as well. You know, a lot of the companies have talked about the kind of digital um, opportunity. And we've seen some companies start to bring that in in terms of trying to partner their um, established brands, you know, with um, with sort of digital ready uh, products. So I think there's quite a few things going on here. But, you know, I would agree that that's all being accelerated by the pandemic, which is kind of pulling more people into into um, consumer health and into self-care. So. Um, perhaps, you know, the companies like Sanofi and GSK who were doing this before will benefit from it. And then obviously now J&J has, has seen that as well. So, you know, it'd be something to um, watch out for and compare the what how these companies progress over the next few years compared to the, those companies, you know, like uh, Bayer, for example, who are keeping at the moment at least, um, you know, their consumer business as part of the wider group, you know, including pharma as well. Yeah, it's important to note the companies that, that aren't doing this, at least at the moment. And yeah, I think comparing how they fare, I think, you're, you know, you're right that innovation has obviously got a large part to play in this, isn't it? Thinking about, you know, where you're going to grow uh, in terms of consumer health and, and you know, switching. We've seen a bit more activity recently. I think there's been some in the US, but, you know, certainly in the UK, there's been quite a lot since since Brexit. Um but you know like in the eu for example centralized switches have been very slow so yes yeah, it's, it's coming from elsewhere and maybe you need to be a little bit more um, nimble but i think yeah we'll come back to this and it'd be worth revisiting uh, in a few months you know next year to see to see whether this is still the case but i think for now it'd be nice just to have a look at the results so um if we look at the sales and earnings of q3 um which you've both written about um, over the last few weeks. One, another thing that stood out apart from the uh, the standalone spin-offs is the price issues. So particularly in the US, but also in the EU, um, price rises because of supply chain issues. Uh, Malcolm, do you want to explain what you think is going on here? Yeah, yeah. Again, thank you, David, and thank you so much for having Tom and I on this. This is quite a, quite interesting. Um, uh, I, uh, <laughs> you mentioned that we've, we've, uh, written about these over the past several weeks. And I, my first thought was, well, it'd only be another several weeks before writing about them again. But, uh, um, uh, the, the pricing, uh, my thoughts about that are, um, I, I'm just, uh, you really start with a question. I, I wonder if any of the pharma companies, when this unfortunate uh, pandemic began, looked ahead, you know, when they had a night, when the world and pharma, you know, large companies of all types should have had an idea of how long it was going to last and what the impact would be. If they looked ahead and saw the supply chain problems or anticipated at least the supply chain problems. And on top of that, that they would going to, they were going to have to raise prices. Um, that's a you know it'd be a great story for for HBW Insight as well as any any publication to have you know what uh, what uh, thinking what foresight was happening early in the pandemic as far as the anticipation for supply chain issues and the related price increases um, uh, I, I think pricing is going to affect sales uh, sales totals sales growth. 
you know, face it, I, you know, I am a consumer and I'm less inclined to buy a product that I don't absolutely need if, if the price is not right. Uh, and, and, you know, consumers are going to uh, perhaps not stock up as much as they would uh, normally during uh, a certain time of the year because of pricing. Um, and uh, another thing on pricing is that, uh, you know, once they go up, when do they come down? Or it's, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be when they come down, but if they come down. Uh, and I'm, I'm not expecting prices to come down uh, even when uh, the supply chain disruption has passed and, and other issues are resolved that are affecting prices or affecting costs for the companies that they say lead to the price increases. Um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be uh, there's a lot of moving parts there, at least several moving parts. Uh, it'll be interesting to see post-pandemic, post-supply chain disruption, and so on, what happens uh, to pricing. And Tom, on, on the EU side, is it is it a similar situation or uh, is it happening or is it, you know, and or driven by different factors? Have you got any insight on that? No, I mean, yeah, I think as Malcolm said, um, it's at the moment, it's just, it's rising supply chain costs that you know all the companies are facing um you know including things like commodities um which are you know obviously go into the manufacture of the products and then you know freight and the the distribution as well um so that's just you know they've you know i think absorbed the costs to some point but now having to pass that on to consumers but you know as malcolm says how that will play out kind of remains to be seen um you know just from where um i'm in the uk you know we're looking at um uh, sort of tax increases uh coming next year um you know, the value of the pound has dropped following brexit so you know i think that's going to be a kind of market by market whether consumers um you know are willing to pay higher prices like malcolm says you know especially especially you could say for things which aren't as urgent you know for those um kind of products where you're um you know addressing an acute need such as you know pain cough and cold that kind of thing you know you still going to need those products but obviously where we've seen a lot of growth is in the you know kind of prevention side of things supplements um you know if the prices of those you know continue to rise you know how you know how much will consumers kind of see those as a, as a necessity that they need to have when you know prices for a lot of other things are also going up as well so yes, you know at the, mo- at the moment i was going to say up. especially as especially as you can't see that immediate impact maybe with um, with wellness products you know you, you're buying that as it's kind of aspirational mm-hmm. isn't it where you're thinking i'm gonna i'm gonna take this because i want to feel well um but maybe yeah, having those when it's impacting on your general um, ability to pay for other stuff. Um, we we you- might find a we might find a case study in this, and like of course we know that the the whole thing about immune health supplements sales have been booming uh, during the pandemic, but of course those product prices will be going up too. And it'd be interesting to see whether the you know the 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 growth in sales of vitamin D and 
elderberry and all these other things that are supposed to be immune health uh, benefits continue, you know, whether the growth continues as prices go up. And, and my thought is it, they won't. It won't. Certainly the growth won't be at the rate it has been. And uh, uh, for other supplements, vitamins and minerals, I really think that they're, they, uh, and Tom makes a great point, you know, I think that those prices going up and those are not essentials. Some, for, you know, some, some would argue that they are. However, uh, I think the sales growth of those products is perhaps they're heading for a, a little bit of a valley because of the pricing. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Like you say, Malcolm, let's let's keep an eye on that because um, because we'll see, won't we, in the results. But as for as for what's happened, uh, we've just had um, Q3 results, as as I've already said. So is it the case that that you know OTCs prevention supplements etc. are still driving growth in uh, consumer health companies and or businesses? Um, should we start? I'll start with you, Tom, uh, on on this side. So, in Europe, um, what are we seeing in terms of specific company results, just in in kind of high level, uh, on a high level perspective? Yeah. So, well, of the kind of the four big European base players, you know, I think all would be will be pleased with their results, some more than others. Um, Bayer and uh, Sanofi had sort of you know brilliant quarters they both grew double digits um but i think you know across the board of, of bear sanofi uh Reca and gsk i think it's the, it's the same kind of um category drivers that we're seeing you know as we've mentioned a few times now supplements um is tending to be the biggest and that's still growing double digits and that's you know as Malcolm says, and I agree, I think that will um, we'll probably start to see that slow now. But, you know, the the supplement category seems to have been growing double digits for the past, you know, 18 months. Um, but then along with that, you're also kind of seeing a return to the um, cough and cold category kind of returning to growth. And then also, you know, like your classic OTC categories like pain relief and digestive health, um, they're up as well um some some against uh you know a kind of low base compared to last year obviously you always have to factor that in what was the market doing a year ago um but you know at the moment all the the major european companies are are all you know performing quite well and um i'd say aside from gsk um that that has obviously been um they're focusing on this, their um, planned spin-off, and they've also been, you know, integrating the Pfizer um, acquisition, the joint venture, um, which closed a few years ago. You know, the, the other three are all sort of in different stages of turnaround programs following, you know, a few years of kind of disappointing growth. But we're all seeing that, you know, those companies you now returning to growth with those plans, you know, kind of starting to um, deliver results. Yeah, you mentioned uh, turnaround plans. I was going to just ask about Sanofi. So uh, the consumer healthcare business has got a new head, hasn't it? And um, it looks like maybe she started to turn it around a bit. Yeah. um, So just over a year ago now, um, apologies for the pronunciation, Julie Van Ongvale. 
I'm not sure if that's correct. Um, she she came in from uh, came in from Estee Lauder, um, and at the time, um, you know, Sanofi talked about her expertise in um, digital and you know connecting with kind of millennial consumers as a kind of a key um, rationale behind behind the appointment. Um, and earlier this year. She kind of set out what she wanted to do to return the business to growth. And a key part of that was kind of reorganising the portfolio and really slimming it down um, and either divesting or uh, discontinuing around 150 of Sanofi's 250 consumer brands. Uh, And on the Q3 uh, call, she gave a bit of an update to that and said uh, 111 brands have since that time have now been either discontinued or divested which obviously is you know significant part of the portfolio and is almost up to the um, 150 target Um, and that's clearly sort of um, starting to pay dividends Um, and what what they what the um, what they were kind of doing is reorganizing the portfolios to Obviously, you still have your, your major global brands, but then it's it's also kind of making the most out of these kind of smaller local or, or you know, more regional brands um, and being able to put investment um, behind them um, to respond to market trends, you know, consumer trends and things like that. So, you know, obviously, when, when uh, she set out this plan, she said she wanted the business to have best in market growth rates within four years. And that was obviously at the start of this year. So, you know, we're only in the kind of first year. But the business is now, I think it grew 11% in the quarter. And, you know, um, I think Sanofi is sort of saying they're only kind of just behind market growth rates now for the year. So it's obviously going in the right direction. And obviously key to that is the is the plan that's been put in place but then also as we mentioned before the kind of standalone strategy to make the business more agile as well so it can respond quickly to consumer trends that's obviously starting to pay off but you know i think i'm sure Sanofi would be the first to say you know still more more work to do on that but it's obviously heading in the right direction yeah thanks for that um thanks for that update tom that's really really useful i think obviously that's seeing some success so uh, turning to the US then, Malcolm, um, any highlights your side? I think the uh, the US results in the third quarter, the latest quarter, uh, kind of speak to our, our discussion about, you know, why companies are, why farmers are splitting off, some at least are splitting off their consumer health businesses. Um, the uh, There's two smaller companies, uh, consumer, uh, Church and Dwight and uh, Prestige Consumer Healthcare, previously Prestige Brands Holdings, uh, and they both had good quarters, and and they typically do uh, because they're they're, they're smaller. Uh, they uh, uh, Prestige Consumer is all consumer health, whereas Church and Dwight is uh, about half consumer health and half household uh, products and so on. Uh, but at any rate, they they don't have the overhead that the pharmas do. Uh, and so they they can live with the margins they have for consumer health product production distribution and sales because you know they, they don't have the more expensive uh, pharma operations going on. 
and, and they're and they're happy with uh, you know they have no intention whatsoever of getting into pharma uh and they're and they're you know very happy with uh, what what they have going on they they have uh, brands that compete with the the, the brands that Johnson and Johnson and GSK and uh, Procter and Gamble market, and uh, they uh, uh, they they're they're in they're in uh, OTC drugs and dietary supplements, uh, and and they both had good quarters, and they typically do in the uh, you know as far as. Uh, consumer health, their their totals aren't going to rival what Johnson and Johnson, GSK, et cetera, have in consumer health, but their margins are good and and, and their growth rates are good, uh, and and their stockholders are happy. Um, Procter and Gamble is not in pharma, but of course they have a big uh, consumer health section, and again they have uh, you know they have strong brands that you know every quarter are are you know showing good sales growth. Uh, and they and Procter and Gamble being in the company of its size, despite not being in pharma, they have a you know tremendous uh, you know quote unquote innovation engine going. You know they can they can do line extensions and and whatever uh, changes in a product profile uh, you know at a drop of a dime, and, and they do it uh, well and they do it quickly. So they're pretty strong. Uh, they're, they're again, they have no reason to uh, be dissatisfied with their consumer health or what consumer, what Procter and Gamble calls personal health uh, sales uh, uh, results. Uh, Johnson and Johnson, they they're so you know they're so big in consumer health that it'd be diff- it'd be difficult, it'd be very you know take a you know a global freeze. Uh, for them to not have, you know, good sales uh, uh, globally for their brands in consumer health uh, in a quarter. Um, they, they had a, they had a good quarter again uh, in comparison to last year, uh, despite the supply chain problems uh, and uh, whatever pricing uh, uh, changes they may be making. Um, and then there's uh, that, that about really wraps it up for U.S. consumer health uh, product marketers. Uh, I'm sure there are uh, uh, on the supplement side. You know, I think the companies we follow, you know, there's very few of them actually that are publicly traded. Most of them are, are uh, smaller and not uh, publicly held. Um, they, you know, they show reasonably good uh, growth for the quarter. Um, and uh, certainly they want to drive more, uh, but they, of course, like the OTC drug side and the pharma side of things, they are facing uh, increasing costs for supply, distribution, and, and materials and so on. Brilliant. Thanks for that um, that overview, uh, Tom and, and Malcolm. I think that's a really great uh, kind of summary in quite a short period of time. Obviously, you can find all the articles on HPW Insight um, on the specific companies. Um, so, looking ahead then, um, I think, you know, we'll try and do this every quarter. Uh, I think it's a really useful uh, exercise <clears throat> and it's good to do that comparison across the uh, Europe and the US. Um, what are we watching out for then as we go into the end of the year uh, and into next year? Um, anything that springs out? Tom? Well, I think obviously we've got to see how the you know, supply chain problems play out um, and how that sort of feeds into pricing, as we've said, um, and what the consumer response is to that over the next you know, 12 months or so. Um, and then the other thing is, is obviously COVID has 
kind of changed um, buying habits and things like that in terms of where people buy and what they buy. So, again, interesting to see, you know, if fingers crossed, you know, from next year, we start to put the pandemic behind us and go back to, you know, a bit more of a uh, bit more normal. You know, will those behaviours that have come in uh, remain? You know, I think the um, the heads of the consumer divisions are, you know, pretty confident that a lot of those behaviours are here to stay. Um, you know, and especially when it comes to something like supplements, you know, the pandemic's kind of, uh, you know, it's been over 18 months now and the uh, increase in supplement um, sales has been maintained and, you know, there's still there's still growth there. Um, so that will be an interesting um, one to watch. Um, yeah, I think those are the, the kind of couple of main things I'll be looking out for. Malcolm, anything anything to add from you from your side? Um, our discussion today, you know, kind of had me thinking in that direction, David. Uh, uh, I think it'd be interesting, you know, with Johnson and Johnson announcing its plans, whether perhaps uh, uh, it might. Uh, uh, divest individual brands or product lines that maybe it doesn't think it will contribute to the uh, growth of the set of the standalone company, um, you know, and products that aren't uh, satisfactory to Johnson and Johnson probably still would be attracted to other companies. So it might be we might see Johnson and Johnson uh, divesting some of its consumer health brands. Uh, Bosch Health, as I mentioned earlier, is spinning off uh, Bosch and Loam, uh, which includes its consumer OTC drug and, and dietary supplement lines, but it also includes, and it's all about vision health, uh, Bosch and Loam, but it also includes some RX products. And I think it's a kind of a uh, uh, an odd fit. I don't really, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether Bosch uh, decides that, that that's going to work or maybe decides that uh, Bosch and Loam needs to be all RX or all consumer health. Um, that won't happen their 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 spinoff of that, which they're going to do through an IPO, won't you know won't happen until probably uh, June you know approaching June next year. Uh, but uh, so we might see uh, further in the distance some uh, upset there within Boston Loan as far as whether they can operate as RX and consumer health combined. Um, uh, I think Prestige Consumer Health and um, um, and, and Church and White are in good shape. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they they make some uh, additions to their lines, uh, buying brands, maybe from Johnson Johnson, as I mentioned, or other brands that are available. Um, uh, I also I'm, I happen to be working on a story about a new brand that I'm aware of in in, in, in the OTC market, and I see that uh, it was really a popular uh, funding round. And so there, there may be a lot of, uh, well, there may be an uptick at least in investment in uh, OTC drug uh, company funding. A year ago, there was one that we've, we 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 reported about. The name escapes me now, but uh, uh, even though one might think, well, hell, how can you, know, how can a, you might want to cut that out? <laughs> uh, how can a company get into the OTC drug market? It's such you know such saturated already, and there's such big brands, but there's always people investors, entrepreneurs who, who want to try. And so we might see an uptick in that. Yeah, I think that's a great point as well. 
Um, I think we can get away with hell on the podcast. Um, we'll see what uh, what rise. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think that's brilliant. I think we'll we'll uh, quit while we're ahead there because um, you know it's already quite a lot of information. I think for our listeners to take in, but um, it was fantastic having you both talking on the podcast. I think that was really useful. I hope that was um, that was also useful for both of you. Yeah, great. Thanks very much for having us on, Dave. If I could add one more thing, I was going to say that uh, I have a sense that the FDA here in the U.S. is going to do something in OTC in the area of switch. Uh, it's been so, been a rather dry, long, dry spell. And uh, people say that OTC, uh, FDA rather has been focused on COVID and COVID only. Uh, but I think they've had time now to uh, pick up other initiatives. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised within six months if we have some uh you know uh, notable substantial switch approved in the u.s there you go nice uh, malcolm leaving a little uh, nugget to um to anticipate over the next few months there uh. um yeah all right well watch you know watch out uh, keep reading hpw insight um to see more coverage on this obviously as malcolm said before it's not that it's not gonna be that long until we'll be writing about um, end of year results and we'll have loads of content coming up as well as uh, other podcasts over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas. So uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, Tom and Malcolm. Thank you, David. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, both. Thanks for listening to Over the Counter. Watch out for new episodes in the future on the HBW Insight website, on our LinkedIn and Twitter pages, and on SoundCloud. See you soon.